Hello and welcome to our final episode of Naturally Educated. Today we'll be discussing a couple of things, Majid. The quality of the air we breathe, both while we're indoors and outdoors, how much it impacts our health, the air quality and its links to the economy, and finally, the global and UAE-specific challenges and solutions. Awesome. And our guest this week is also Section Manager of Air Quality, Noise, and Climate Change at the Environment Agency of Abu Dhabi, Ruqayya Muhammad. And we'll be speaking to her later. All right. So, Majid, actually, do you have one of those air filters at home? By any chance? Uh, yeah, actually, one or two. So, my eldest, when he was younger, had child asthma. And then we realized, actually, having one in our room, we sleep better. Interesting. I mean, I saw my mom have one yeah. uh, in her room, and I have no clue how it works, to be honest with you. So what you're doing there with the air filter is you have a HEPA filter. It's basically a, a, a filter that pulls away all the very fine particulate matter. Mm-hmm. But actually, some of the new ones today will actually tell you how good the air quality is in the room. And there they're measuring all sorts of things like particulate matter and other volatile gases. All right. So it's kind of like important to have a finger on what, what sort of yeah, pollutants I mean, you have in your if room. You, you know, I always believe if you're better informed, you can make better decisions. So um, definitely it was something worth looking at when, uh, when we had it. And it's helped. So I'm a big fan of that. But do you actually know what the main constituents of the air we breathe are? I actually have no clue. Yeah, so we're looking at nitrogen, oxygen, and carbon dioxide. And do you know which one is the most abundant of those three in the air we breathe? I guess I heard it's nitrogen, of course. Yes, so there you go. Most people assume it's oxygen, but actually there's quite a, quite a little bit of oxygen. Nobody freak out. It's just <laughs> the way our air is built. Um, but when we talk about pollution and polluting of this air, you know, I mentioned particulate matter and, and volatile gases. But actually, that pollution is really defined as the substances that don't disperse properly and affect our health and our welfare uh, for us to operate normally and, and move normally as well as have environmental effects. Mm-hmm. So do you know where all these pollutants come from? I mean, I couldn't guess maybe in transport or, or, or some, you know, yeah. may, you know I, we hear a lot about planes, for instance. But yeah. But I guess there are more to it, right? Yeah. So a very good major, major pollutant is transportation. Transportation of all sorts, from uh, planes to boats to cars, the cars we drive. But that's just one of a few. Um, Mm -hmm. Globally, there's a challenge where people actually still burn fossil fuels at home. So they're burning wood or coal in their home for heat or to cook food. You also have industry that is generating power. So much like the engine in your car, at a larger scale, all the electricity might be powered by coal or um, oil or some other combustion function. And that all has sort of particles that go into the air. By the way, what kind of car do you drive? I drive a regular Honda. A regular Honda? Yes. I have a Tesla. Oh. And I've been told my car is... Just as bad as any Honda or other. I actually heard that. Yeah, isn't that the case? Well, you see, I did a little digging, and there happens to be a study that you know electric cars having no combustion at the car level. One, you're not immediately putting anything into the environment, and at the macro, at as total, you have less. It's about fifty percent actually. Mm -hmm. But look, there's also LPG, like we have in Abu Dhabi, natural gas systems that reduce the pollutants going out into the environment. Yeah, that's true. I heard of a lot of different, you know, transportation solutions um, that are being offered, but also in general here in Abu Dhabi, we're yeah. 
we, we look into um, energy usage and we try to diverse Absolutely. Uh, a bit of that. No, and there's a lot of work being done. I think one thing that people don't realize is even agriculture, you know, when we're talking about how we make our food, hmm. that has impacts on the environment. There's everything from pesticide use to the tractors and the vehicles that are used. But, you know, there are different ways to modulate that. And there's been a lot of work done. And ultimately, I think something that's a real shame but still happens is really just burning waste um, out to be able to deal with that. So as a whole, that's how we're looking at, you know, air quality and pollution. So air pollution is the presence of contaminant or pollutant substances in the air that do not disperse properly and that interfere with either our own health or welfare or produce other harmful environmental effects. So do you know perhaps what maybe those five top might be? I heard that, you know, obviously we have uh, the car that pollutes, yes. and then we have industry and mm -hmm. other aspects as well. Yeah, so so definitely anything that runs a combustion engine or the burning of fossil fuels will have major impact. Um, so we're talking about factories, power plants, cars and vehicles, including ships. Um, you have different vehicles that might use less of that. So like we have LPG, um, mm -hmm. which is... Liquefied uh, gas, right? Well, electric cars, where they are driving, are not uh, putting out any combustion, uh, any, any particulate matter. But you do have the energy that they consume. So as a whole, they're drawing energy from factories that are doing that. But there's a study that's come out to say that as a whole, they are actually producing 50% less. And to have LPG as well, that's a major reduction in what yeah. you're doing uh, in terms of environmental impact. But one thing I think that some people don't think about is agriculture. What, so, what do you mean? What exactly? So when we're talking about how we produce our food, and this is more of a global issue where the tractors, the machines, even the chemicals we use or the fertilizers, there you have an impact on the air, as well as ultimately burning of waste. So mm. in certain countries where they still burn waste, that has a major impact on air quality. All right, so we've talked about the air pollutants, but what's the situation here in the UAE? So actually, one of the largest contributors to air pollution in the UAE, and people don't realize this, but it's dust or seasonal dust that we get here very often in the UAE. So you mean the, the, that dust storm that comes through that turns everything yellow? There you go. Oh, yeah. wow. So, I mean... Including Pretty obvious, actually, <laughs> when I think about it. <laughs> but people don't realize this and think, you know, you know, air pollution is worse here. Yeah. Uh, but it's, it is linked to that. Well, we also have to address that there is uh, both industrial and vehicle emissions sure. pollution. I mean, the country has been growing super fast over, you know, its last 50 years. Exactly. Uh, but, but to that end, there is a lot of real background dust uh, as we live in an arid climate in a desert. So uh, it's good to know. But mm -hmm. okay, so we know that how? So actually, the Ministry of Climate Change and Environment uh, put an effort here to address the issue, uh, and uh, they have 30 stations uh, across the UAE to measure, you know, air quality. Oh, wow. Okay, cool. So, so cool, there yeah. are these sensors all around the country that are already doing... And can you can you actually get the readings for that? Like, Yeah, we, actually, you can look it up on... Online. Uh, oh, my God, there's a link. Okay, cool. Yeah, so we're going to put that in the, the show notes, and you guys can basically check the air quality in your region and hopefully understand what's happening. And for those of you who have that seasonal dust allergy... Uh, I know a few people who have that. <laughs> yeah, that'll hopefully help you manage uh, manage your allergy. Um, well, cool. So what, what are we doing here as well after we've got all of these sensors? What, what can we do in the UAE? 
So I think this helps us address, uh, first of all, that there are you know issues linked with mm-hmm. air pollution. Uh, one of them that study found out is that there is a 90,000 people or hospital visits um, b- uh, per year in the UAE. Oh, wow. So that's, that's pretty serious, yeah. Well, okay, so we've got data in the hospitals for you know links to, to health. We've got sensors in the city. I mean, with that kind of information, we can make some, some interesting policy choices. Have we got any strategies to reduce sort of like our, our air quality situation? Of course, yes, yes. Actually, the Vision 2021 uh, of the ministry and the government in general uh, aims to raise the air quality to 90%. Oh, this wow. year. Okay. So yeah, they do this by um, uh, they establish something called the Air Quality Index oh, okay. or IQI, mm-hmm. which is a, sort of an artificial intelligence based uh, platform that monitors and analyzes air quality. So it's it's pretty cool. Oh, amazing! I'll be honest, cool. Yeah. Look at us leveraging technology, and we're all using AI as well. I'm curious of how 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 we can get that to help. But if anything, I always believe uh, information and education will get you a long way. So. I'm glad everybody's got this uh, information. So, Majid, actually, what is that? What about the bigger picture? You know, across the the world, is it only a UAE thing? No. Uh, well, it, I'm glad you bring that up. So, regionally, globally, we're all here looking at, you know, air quality as a as an issue together. In the 15 countries that emit the most planet warming gases, the cost of air pollution for public health is estimated at more than four percent of global GDP. Wow, that's a lot. And in comparison, keeping warming to the Paris Agreement temperature limits would require investing about 1% of global GDP. So we're looking at a massive impact for what air quality does in terms of global health. So I, I think, if anything, having the ability to address this with other countries and looking for strategies that work together would really leverage um, some solutions where we have different people. I mean, in certain countries, we have alternating days of which cars can go into cities where you have major congestion. Yeah, I've heard about that. Yeah, Mm -hmm. and and then you also have the move to electric and LPG. I actually drove through Tajikistan uh, for four or five days wow. in a car in LPG. Like, that oh, was God. amazing. <laughs> and, I, and I remember sitting at the back of the car when it was on thinking, oh, wait, I can't smell an exhaust. Mm-hmm. Well, that's because there's less of impact. So where that technology is available, major, major opportunities there. And then ultimately creating strategies that address industry outputs, uh, energy transitions, there are a lot of opportunities where those emissions can be addressed. And even in agriculture, there is a move to be able to address how those substances we're using are being looked at to find alternatives, to find better ways. So you mentioned the indoor air pollution. Is mm-hmm. it is it an even bigger problem in other countries, for instance, or is it, you know... Well, okay, that's a good point. So if you look at third world or developing countries that are challenged in providing energy to homes, a lot of those homes are still burning fuel in the home. I mean, in Germany, it's also outlawed, and in certain countries outlawed, to run a wood fire in the home. Chimneys are being sort of, they're passe. (laughs) Yeah, so (laughs) the idea is why? Because there's a lot of indoor air pollution, Mm -hmm. carbon monoxide pollution, um, and then heater technology as well. So there are policies, there are regulations that are changing across the world. And for different countries, different economic situations, there are different challenges. 
you mentioned agriculture as well. Mm-hmm. So I, I know that the UAE probably doesn't have that as a bigger issue. So look, if you look at beef, uh, that was identified a long time ago as having an issue with creating a lot of methane. Oh. Right, yeah. You know, cows that eat a lot of grain will be pushing a lot of methane out one way or the other, if you get my drift. <laughs> Got it. <laughs> and uh, that really has an impact when you do it at scale. So there are both sort of beef production scientists that are looking at ways of reducing that. So mm. what you feed them. And would you believe, I actually remember something here. If you feed them seaweed, it okay. reduces the methane production. Oh, wow. So go figure. You could farm... <laughs> Seaweed here today. You got to put those cows on a Japanese diet. Yeah, that nori is, is, is not just good on your sushi. So, so there, there are a lot of interesting ways that we can harness things from the environment to help impact air quality. Mm-hmm. Maybe we move now to Ruqayya and ask her what she does at the Environment Agency and what she can tell us about air quality. We've got a few questions for her, um, but first of all, you should know that Ruqayya has authored a chapter on air quality in the agency's 2017 State of Environment Report and has extensive knowledge in the field. So Ruqayya, thank you for being on the podcast. It's my pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. So Ruqayya, I think maybe for the audience, why don't you tell us a little bit about maybe what you do and, and how your contribution at the Environment Agency works? Uh, yeah, so as you mentioned, I'm the uh, manager for the Air Quality, Noise and Climate Change section. Uh, so my primary res- responsibilities is overseeing the monitoring of ambient air quality in the Emirate of Abu Dhabi. And we have several stations across the Emirate uh, and also compiling um, emissions data, you know, um, such as air air emissions inventories, mm-hmm. um, greenhouse gas emissions inventories, and also doing research and collecting data on um, areas that, you know, we have gaps in knowledge and basically using this um, data to inform policy development, uh, um, developing regulations and also um, supporting decision making, you know, um, science Super. and evidence-based decision making. So when when you're talking about data, when you're talking about evidence, I think maybe for our audience, it'd be interesting to understand what's actually in the air we breathe today with the concerns of, you know, air pollution impacting the quality of the Earth's air and climate change. What are we starting with? What's in, what is in the air we breathe? Okay. When we talk about air in general, um, primarily the um, compounds we find, in, elements and compounds we find in air are primarily nitrogen and oxygen. We also have water in the form of water vapor, of course, carbon dioxide, methane, ozone, and many other compounds in trace amounts. And mm-hmm. some of these are created naturally, and others are the result of human activity. And of course, the ones we monitor uh-huh. are the ones that are the result of uh, human activity. And in addition to gases in the atmosphere, we also have um, smoke particles, dust particles, pollen. And mm-hmm. um, generally speaking, the composition of the atmosphere changes constantly, and it depends on the season, the weather, the time of day, um, geography. And from what we monitor, uh, the specific pollutants that we monitor, um, most of them fall within the national standard limits, except um, fine dust, which we call PM10, and Mm ground-level ozone. And the reason is that these are largely affected by the regional climate 
um, you know, the arid environment, the desert, and the natural sources from the desert. So that's wow. in a nat- nutshell <laughs> what's in the air that we breathe. That's a lot of there stuff. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the important thing is um, what um, amounts or what concentrations of all these are in the air. And mm-hmm. that is what the monitoring is all about to make sure that, you know, things are within healthy limits. So when you talk about things that are in the air, sort of what, what's a natural limit to have for some of these things? I don't know uh, if you have that off the top of your head. Um, it's it's not so much a natural limit. It's what scientists have studied and consider safe, acceptable, yeah, or yeah. acceptable or permissible, yeah. Mm-hmm. And f- all right. And these are set, for example, by the Ministry of Climate Change. Uh, for example, for fine dust, like I said, for PM, we have a limit of 150 micrograms per cubic meter. That's what the standard is. So the idea is to make sure we don't exceed that. Mm-hmm. But okay. for our part of the world, we exceed this sometimes. Why is that? Because PM can be natural and it can also be man-made. So because we already have high background levels of uh, PM, uh, we sometimes exceed our limits. Okay, so it's essentially it's all adding up uh, exactly. is what's happening. Exactly. Mm. We got a little bit of a, a dust cake, if you will. It's lots of layers. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Well, I'm, I'm wondering, you know, how, how are we actually going to measure this stuff? Yeah, um, you mentioned actually, Majid, the uh, State of Environment report that the uh, ministry publishes. Um, and uh, I encourage anyone that is listening to give it a peek. Uh, they have beautiful graphics that explains the topics very um, in a very nice way. But, uh, you know, Rukhaya, you mentioned earlier that uh, you monitor some, um, you know, the air quality through air quality stations, right? Right. Tell us more. How many stations do you have around Abu Dhabi? Okay, so um, this is my favorite topic. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Great. That's great for me. (laughs) We have 20 fixed stations. And by fixed, I mean, you know, they are on the ground. They are fixed on the ground at those um, locations, 20 locations across Abu Dhabi Emirate. And we also have two mobile air quality monitoring stations. And as the name suggests, these are stations that we can move around from one place to the other. And we usually okay. use these in areas uh, where we don't have coverage with the fixed stations uh, and where we feel there's a need either through our studies or through the public uh, informing us that they're experiencing air issues, then we deploy these uh, mobile units to these areas. And um, so this 20 fixed stations and two mobile units, yeah. So first I'd like to say yeah. that um, one of VAD's strategic objectives is to protect and improve air quality in Abu Dhabi Emirate by continuously monitoring air and providing accurate and robust data. This is very key. And like I mentioned earlier, this is to support science-based and evidence-based decision-making um, to our, by our management and also by the leadership. And uh, I'd also like to point out that we actually operate one of the most comprehensive ambient air quality networks in the MENA region. And wow. yeah, ISO accredited. So in terms of the, the standard of data that we provide, it's quite high quality. Like high quality, yeah. Yeah. I've heard already, you know, decision-making and yes. data. Maybe you could explain what does that data look like? I exactly. mean, what are we gathering? And then 
my second question would be like, how do you make a decision from something like that? Exactly. So, um, first of all, like yours, what do we what do we measure? So we monitor yeah. specific pollutants: uh, nitrogen dioxide, sulfur dioxide, carbon monoxide, ozone, and uh, PM10, which is fine dust. And these are called criteria pollutants. And what this means is that the Ministry of Climate Change and Environment um, regulates these. And uh, they mm-hmm. do so by developing um, human health-based criteria for setting permissible mm-hmm. limits of these pollutants, which is what you are asking. Mm-hmm. Like, how do you know yeah. what the limits should be? So this is set by the Ministry of Climate Change and Environment and all um, competent authorities in uh, or entities within each emirate then yeah. need to enforce this. And we get data in our stations on a minute average data. Mm -hmm. So we have a lot of data coming in. And um, this data is then uh, relayed to servers in the environment agency. Mm -hmm. Okay. So what Majid is asking, how does this data from stations help us meet our uh, monitoring objectives? Yeah. How how are we making decisions from this like policy? What, What does that mean? So you're looking at data. What do you then do with it? Exactly. So let me start at the very, like, first point of uh, what we use this data for, because the data is broadcasted live, first of all, via our air quality web portal. So you, as a member of the public, can go to our web portal right now, click a station near your house or near your area, and see what data is coming out of that station. And Yes. And you can also access what is called the air quality index. And this is an Mm -hmm. index that is displayed um, every hour. And this allows the public to make daily informed decisions on how to protect themselves from exposure to polluted air. Because it tells you if the air around your area is is healthy, unhealthy, or it's unhealthy for sensitive groups, or it's unhealthy for everybody. So it's a color-coded index that is easy to read and which the public can make informed decisions. And this is really uh, important, uh, especially for sensitive groups, you know, people who have um, asthma or other respiratory um, illnesses that want to know if today is a safe day to go out in terms of what is in the air. So Mm -hmm. that is number one. Number two, um, we are also linked, electronically linked, with several other entities, air quality monitoring networks, and we exchange data to help us manage air quality better in Abu Dhabi. So we are linked to ADNOC. ADNOC has their own um, network that we are linked to, mm-hmm. and ZoneScope, which is the um, regulator for industrial zones, and the National Center for Meteorology, which is a federal entity that monitors air quality in other Emirates. Now, in total, we all have access to 42 stations worth of data. Okay. Yeah, and this really enhances our monitoring capabilities. So this data is, is used in analysis, modeling, and reporting. And it's these deliverables that basically support policy. So when we show what the trends are, you know, what are the hotspots, you know, where is air quality improving? Where is it not? Where is it deteriorating? Then through our permitting, our regulation, and our policy and enforcement activities, we can mitigate air quality. 
so essentially with all i'm just trying to get this in my head this is all happening live like all of this data is moving all at the same time uh well there's the data that goes to the portal and then there's data we get in our servers and ah, right okay of, so, yeah. different. so in our servers of course we have to qaqc it we have to yeah. um yeah we have that's to- that's Quality assurance, quality, quality control, control for all those who don't know the terms. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah I actually didn't know. I had no clue what that meant. I was just going to say, yeah, of course. Yeah. Yes. QAQC, of course. Yeah. So we take our data through what we call three levels of quality assurance and quality control, you know. Um, and we and there's a lot of um, activities that goes on behind the scenes. Go to the stations, check uh, the data against uh, what's in the stations and so on and so forth. And then this data is used to um, inform policy, regulation, and enforcement activities. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, this data is also used for scientific research within the agency and also by other government entities and academic institutions. Oh. And we encourage this. And I'd just like to say this, that data from the Environment Agency is free. We do not charge for our data. Mm-hmm. We encourage Amazing. other entities and academic institutions, students, you know, who want to do research to just, re- you can request for data and we can support your scientific endeavors. So meaning uh, people can have access to the live uh, monitoring stations uh, online? Yes, but okay. you, but you also amazing. have access to the QAQ, uh, quality assurance and quality controlled <laughs> data mm-hmm. if you want yeah. to do, um, you know, if you're doing a project in school, you're doing your master's, your PhD, or, you know, you're a scientist. And, um, so I wonder, you know, you have all this data, right, you mentioned. And just out of curiosity, how does the data look when we're going through a sandstorm, for instance? Is it, you know... 10 times worse in terms of, um, you know, the air quality, or is there a certain percentage on average? Oh, yeah. And here we're talking specifically about what we call PM, PM10 and PM2.5. Mm-hmm. And uh, PM10 um, is particulate matter that has a diameter of less than 10 micrometers. Okay. Mm-hmm. And PM2.5 no, small. is smaller than um, 2.5 micrometers. And just to... For reference, this is both those particles are smaller than uh, the diameter of your hair. A uh, human hair is about 70 micrometers. So we're talking about wow. 10 and 2.5. And so during dust storms or sandstorms, if you go to our, if you look at the data, the stations, yeah, you will see, uh, like I said, PM10, the limit is 150 you might see it go, you know, like you said, five times or sometimes even mm. um, more than that when we have the really huge des- uh, desert storms that are bringing all the dust from the empty quarter. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you can see that in the air when 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 that happens and you've seen pictures of, you know, the world going yellow <laughs> in exactly. some places. Exactly. Especially when the dust is blown, there's wind and it comes in a windstorm here and then the wind dies. So the, the dust just sits in the air. Sits, yeah. okay. Yeah. yeah. And that's how we and get And deposits everything. Right. And and let's just make it clear, we don't want to breathe that, right? We don't <laughs> want to, we want to try not to. No. Yeah. So there's a, there's a, there's a question. What, when we're talking about not just this dust, but air pollution as a whole, uh, as a primary environmental threat to public health in the UAE, what what is the the, the human cost of unclean air? Do you guys look at that? 
Uh, well, like I said, our data is used to inform. So some of the um, our key stakeholders, of course, is the Department of Health and the Ministry mm -hmm. of Health and academic institutions. And we share this data and uh, it's used to um, study the impacts. Of course, there are those impacts that are well known around the world because this is a topic that has been studied mm -hmm. at length. And we can make general um we can make general conclusions about it you know we know that yeah. exposure to very high levels of pollution can impact health in several yeah. ways it can increase risks of heart disease lung cancer mm -hmm. and respiratory infections and for yeah. people who are already sick it can make their symptoms more severe you know uh, especially people yeah people with uh, asthma and other respiratory illnesses and we also know that children and the elderly are particularly susceptible to these impacts. So yeah, I had I had my own experience with my my eldest son who has child asthma um, mm -hmm. or had, and that it was very sensitive around the dusty times, you know, where we'd see he's coughing more and his sleep was disturbed and he used to be very tired. And then there are those people who have allergies to dust that that also gets. Um, is exacerbated. Exactly. Um, and I find that that's a huge, huge challenge. Absolutely. And, you know, all these result in increased visits to the hospital emergency rooms, um, healthcare facilities, absence from work, absence mm. from school, inability to carry on just, you know, your daily living activities and yeah. um, a decrease in overall well-being and quality of life. So, um, again, for us, monitoring is about putting the information out there. So, all um, stakeholders can work together uh, to see how, you know, we can address this. Yeah. Well, I mean, with that sort of human impact of, you know, the environment pollution in the air, um, it makes me think also, I mean, when, when we're talking about people, there's labor productivity goes down. Right. Um, you know, health expenditure. Um, but also there's also the impacts of things like agricultural crop yields. Yeah. Um, increasing you know economic costs as a whole mm -hmm. and i was wondering how can we maintain healthier air quality in tandem with a strong economy because that's ultimately what all of this is trying to inform right Absolutely. are there ways of making it better yeah this is a really great question because um at the end of the day you know you want a well-rounded kind of uh, a well-rounded kind of approach yeah. and as i mentioned earlier the government is fully committed to protecting um, air quality and the public's health and well-being. Mm -hmm. And there are federal and emirate level laws, regulations, yeah. and policies in place to protect air quality and mitigate pollution in a manner that ensures environmental, um, economic, and social sustainability for Abu Dhabi. And yeah. Additionally, the government um, also supports businesses and corporations to develop and implement environmentally sustainable practices. You know, I don't want to go into yeah. the details of, you know, green um, uh, businesses and so on and so forth. But the government is very proactive in supporting businesses to go uh, that route. But having said that, um, I believe the public can also play a critical role in protecting yeah. the air by doing individual actions. I mean, we monitor, we report, we protect, but mm -hmm. um, 
the the public can also uh, play their part and yeah so doing things like reducing the use of energy at home you know and for us in this part of the world uh, our big uh, one is air conditioning so clean yeah. cleaning and maintaining your air conditioners and also setting the thermostat at a reasonable level make sure they are working efficiently and lose using less electricity and yeah. I'd like to make a point here. I think, uh, Majid, Majid, a lot of times there's a disconnect um, between when you tell people to reduce their electricity use and their water use. There's mm-hmm. a disconnect about how electricity is produced and how <laughs> yes, and how water is desalinated. Um, mm-hmm. These are these are necessary and critical economic activities. But they are sure. also very polluting activities. So you think people? So you think like people are so disconnected to where their energy and water comes from I, that they actually don't know? I believe some people. Some people. So when you tell somebody mm. switch off the lights, um, they don't immediately make the connection of how they're reducing pollution. Yeah. You see what yeah. I mean? So I think when once people understand this, and I would urge everybody to understand how this. Um, this works, then um, if everybody reduces their electricity consumption and water consumption, then you ease the pressure on the power plants, you know. There you go. And that is, uh, to me, a critical uh, thing. And also, of course, use energy-efficient bulbs, turn off the lights when you don't need them, you know. Mm -hmm. That's true. I mean, yeah, from from my perspective, I am an Abu Dhabi resident, obviously, and yeah. um, you know, I I happen to have studied different uh, energy systems around the world, mm-hmm. um, and the way they do energy reduction is by incentivizing people to use less of it. Yeah. So, um, are there mechanisms where the government here incentivizes people to reduce their energy use? Uh, honestly, I don't want to go into too many details, but. I believe the, for example, the um, strategies of the Department uh, of Energy, of the Department of Energy. Mm-hmm. If, if mm. I can give you a quick example of what Please I've been do. seeing uh, where the public is being engaged. You see, I've been seeing these ads about how now your water bills and your electricity bills are really, yeah. really um, attractive, quote unquote, where... Um, it shows you how much you're consuming, um, how That's much you've true. how much you've saved. Yeah. This, and to me, that alone in the the digital world that you are living in, <laughs> uh, where everything is on your mobile phone, it's an app you just open, and you you get that satisfaction that you know I've done my part. I actually reduced my electricity, yeah. and I can see it. I can see how I did it. And you know, Rukia, what we need we need an Instagram post that comes from the Department of Energy, right? Mm-hmm. And it says how much you consumed, yeah. <laughs> and then we can repost it on our stories. That, that's what we want. <laughs> Repostable. <laughs> well, you know that's an interesting point you make, Abdurrahman, because essentially what what's happening here, both from Rukia and the Environment Agency side, as well as from the energy consumption side, is we're making data available. Exactly. And yeah. in that knowledge, you can make informed decisions, and it's not that's just true. the government that needs the information to make a decision. We all do day to day. And I completely understand Rukhaya's point about the disconnect. And a lot of environmental work as a whole comes from following, you know, the energy supply or the issue all the way to its source where 
you know, we're all, we've got lights, we've got water and we're all very happy to have it, mm-hmm. but nobody understands that if everybody is enjoying it too much, then we're putting a load on a, you know, a power plant that then has to churn out more electricity, which impacts our air quality, exactly. which impacts our environment. Exactly. Um, and that's, that's both the beauty and the challenge with environmental work is it's very complex. It's all connected. Um, but I think all our listeners have a deeper appreciation now on what it what it takes, uh, you know, switching off lights, turning the AC. And I really I really commend the Department of Energy because they they've gone that route of you know engaging the public and what they call uh, mm-hmm. demand side management, right? Yeah. And um, I see a lot of people. For example, I remember there was um, at one time the electricity and water company was giving people iPads if your reductions were so significant. I remember this. Yes. Yeah, there was like a competition. If you could keep your energy below a certain threshold in the house, including the water as well. Yes. You on uh, you on an iPad, and that was that's pretty cool. I know and, somebody um, who did, and your name was in the newspapers. I know my brother did, and people were calling <laughs> oh, him. Oh, amazing! Family was calling him. <laughs> so to yeah. me, it matters. It matters because it's interesting. Like I said, in this digital age, when you show people numbers and you show a person, these are your numbers, and this mm-hmm. is how this is what you can do, and this is what you've done, and we're patting you on the back um, for mm-hmm. reducing these numbers then i think that's a that's a good thing that's a, that's like gamifying the whole system exactly. right if everybody has the numbers everybody has the barcodes or the colors you know you're in the green or the yellow or the red exactly. people start comparing and be like okay so so where is your electric bill versus mine where is your <laughs> water bill versus mine? you know i'm i'm, I'm in the, the yellow threshold yeah. have been for months now and you know, you, you get this like healthy competition. Exactly. I know me and my brothers would probably take that too far, but <laughs> worth <Jeez>. <laughs> <laughs> worth trying. You probably lose a bet or two, yeah. 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 And it's all yeah. about communication, you know. It's they've taken communication to another level and it's working. It's working. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I um you know, I, I just wanted to um talk briefly on we talked both about the human uh, caused air pollution, right? Mm-hmm. Um but we also talked about the natural air pollution. Is there a way to, um, you know, make them distinct? What is exactly the difference between the two on the human health? Okay, so um, let me talk about first about the natural air pollution. Um, So this is, this is um, caused by what we would say continuous or temporary natural events. Um, Like I mentioned, such as desert dust or sandstorms. Um, Sea salt particles, you know, salt from the sea or oceans, these are also natural pollutants. Um, Mm -hmm. Volcanoes in some places. um, When they go off, for sure. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. And sometimes... The world stops. Yeah, and sometimes they go off in one place and pollute another, right? Same with uh, dust storms. And forest fires, you know, these are natural Mm, sources. And there are many others. And we can't control these activities, of course. But, for example, for us, for dust storms or sandstorms, um, through forecasting, again, like Majid, uh, you asked, what do we do with this data? Um, Through forecasting, and by forecasting here, I mean things that are done by the Natural Center for Meteorology, because that's another different type of monitoring and forecasting, in addition to what comes from our stations. 
we can protect the public by providing warnings yeah. and also providing information on how to protect themselves and prevent exposure. You know, mm. and I think some of you have seen these warnings from the National Center. If it's a yes. really bad yeah. storm, it'll even come in your SMS. And yeah. yep. so that's for natural air pollution. And from the desert, like I said, what are the health impacts? The health impacts would be like Majid said about um, his son. Uh, for people who have mm. asthma and other respiratory illnesses, uh, fine dust can be a trigger or it can exacerbate yeah. already um, existing conditions. I've lost many nights of sleep on that, for yeah. sure. Oh, wow. Exactly. And especially um, PM 2.5. And um, emergency rooms we know are full during these events. Mm. Uh, but like I said, in our country, we are prepared for these kinds of things because we have a very good forecasting framework from the National Center yeah. and hospitals and, you know, pharmacies and all this prepare themselves, I'm sure, uh, when yeah. these forecasts are put in place. And then uh, for man-made pollution, this is mainly from burning fossil fuels such as petrol, oil, um, coal, you know, to power cars, power plants and factories. And we also have other sources such as waste disposal sites and um, commercial activities such as dry cleaning and, and painting. And of mm -hmm. course, these are activities that we can control and mm -hmm. to reduce uh, pollution and also minimize their impacts on, on air and on health. And... As I mentioned, this can be done through policies, regulations, and also encouraging clean technologies, which, like I said, the government supports um, uh, industries and businesses uh, to guide them, you know, in the right way of um, manufacturing. Wow, that's uh, incredible. Thank you so much, Rukaya. That's been super informative. Um, would like to thank you for being on the show with Abdurrahman and myself. Thank you. Thank you, Rukaya. Thank you. It was my pleasure. And so thank you, everybody, for listening. You can also hear the rest of our discussion on the environment on other episodes. So subscribe to make sure you don't miss a thing. This is Majid Al-Qasimi. And Abdurrahman Al-Zaabi signing, signing off. off. Bye, Bye, guys. See you later.